All right. Good morning, church. How are you guys? Everybody doing okay? Brah, this week, though. Am I right? Brah. Like, okay. Whoo. So I'm like Jason. The Lord speaks to me in mysterious ways. So not, not, I never get Kung Fu movie yet, but I'm waiting for that day. But, uh, man, like, I can't even tell you. This week, the amount of um, stuff that has just been stirring in my heart, trying to, you know what? I'm going to confess something to you guys real quick. Many of you guys already know this. I get a procrastination problem. For real. Lord hasn't healed it yet. That's my thorn in my flesh. But I'm working on it. God's going to heal me completely. Amen. But today, just even for this message, even for like what the word that, that God has put on my heart, it wasn't fully shaped until like nine this morning, like an hour before service. And I'm like giving the tech people my notes. I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> but I have so much stirred in me. I'm like, God, what do you want me uh, to speak about this week. And so anyway, we're going to talk about some really, really exciting, personal, um, crazy things that are happening in this world and what that means for us as Christians. And you know what? Um, I heard it once said that if you squeeze an orange juice or squeeze an orange, you expect orange juice to come out. Isn't that true? I think for a lot of us, we, what we're witnessing right now in the body of Christ is this pressure that is squeezing us as the church. But what, we're, what I'm recognizing, I think many of us are too, is that it's not just orange juice that's coming out. There's some other funky stuff coming out too. Yeah? And so this is what we want to talk about is, hey, if we're going to be the body of Christ, what is the reaction to the things going on in the world? What is the reaction to the, the lusts of the flesh and the, the ambitions that the world is trying to invoke into us and onto us? Can we talk about that this morning? Amen. So we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about masks. We're going to talk about social media, all the great things. We just throw sex and drugs and make it a party. Can we do that this morning? All right, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So, man, Jesus. First, I want to show you, the, um, let me tell you a story because this is, this is going to set it off right. This is what God really put heavy on my heart this week was I got three brothers. Yeah, so there's four of us and we grew up in a family. My dad was a football player. Um, we, we loved sports, and so we had this massive toy bin where he kept all our toys, and it was a big plastic football, right? So this plastic football to young kids, like six, seven, eight years old, wasn't just for holding toys. It was something we just enjoyed making deposits in. I have no idea why, but all of us did it. It was curious. We were just like, it's got a big hole on the top. It looks like a toilet, and so if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll send you an emoji later, but this is, you know what I mean. So we would continually mess up our toys, if you know what I mean, because we have this bucket full of toys. So one day, Pastor Rick came downstairs and found that the toys had been brutalized. And so what he did was he lined all four of us up, and he said, one of you is going to confess to who did this, and if nobody confesses, all of you are getting punished. And I did it. That was my, that's my confession. That was me. And I stood there in line with my three other brothers. I'm third in line. So I got Steve and then Will and then me and then my little brother, Eric. And I'm thinking that we have a couple strategies here, right? How do we maneuver this situation? Number one, you just stay quiet. Because if you stay quiet, the pressure might make somebody else crack even though they didn't do it. Or you blame the younger brother because that's what families do. If you're the youngest, you just get the blame. Anybody receive that in their families? Amen. So I'm like, we got this younger brother, and nobody actually, no parent actually punishes the youngest. Let's just blame it on them. They'll get away with it. They'll get a cookie later, whatever. So these are the options that are going in my head. We're all standing there quiet. Pastor Rick is fuming, right? 
And my oldest brother steps forward and he says, Dad, I did it. And I look at him like, what an idiot. <laughs> for real. This was my reaction. Like, why would you do that? I know for a fact he didn't do it, but he took it because in his mind, and this is like my, if you know my brother, he's a terrific human being. But he took what he saw their situation from his perspective. He says, what's more just that I would take the heat for what's going on and save two innocent people and a punishment that the guilty person deserved or all four of us be punished? And so he took that upon himself as the responsible firstborn, and he was punished for it. And I tell you what, I don't have many other memories of that time period except for this, because there's something that is so endearing and so rewarding about someone who lays down their own life for the benefit of somebody else. Amen? And so this is what we call that. I want to put out a big Christianese word this morning. It's called cruciformity. Everyone say cruciformity. Cruciformity is the word that describes what the centerpiece of our faith is as it relates to our response and reaction to Christ. We are dead in ourselves and we become resurrected again with Christ. This is central to it. And what I've learned is if you watch movies, you know, we watch the movie Cars like probably every week. It's my son Jude's favorite movie. When Lightning McQueen almost stops at the finish line to go back to help his friend who got, who got derailed off the track and hop across the line with him. It's like, wow, there's nothing more powerful than self-sacrifice in a movie. Isn't that true? Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, you name your favorite movie. Titanic, right? Never let go, Jack. And he, then she lets him go. But he sacrificed himself so she could stay on that door and tell the story later. But you guys get the picture. Self-sacrifice. There's something in our spirit that says this is beautiful. This is noble. Even if you look at ancient... Japanese culture, the idea of a noble death is one that dies in honor to sacrifice for other people. That's crazy. This is a crazy kind of love. And this is the kind of love our God has for us. It's a cruciform love. It's a resurrected love. It's something that has to die in order for a resurrection to happen. And so I want to show you a couple verses that really speak about this. The first one, I think, is Matthew 16. Matthew 16 is coming. We're working on it. Got him? Got him? I'm going to read it to you guys. <laughs> Wait, waiting for it? No, it has to show on screen, actually. I just realized that. The red one, Jaina. Matthew. No more. Oh, it's not coming up. Okay. Well, let me read these verses to you. Matthew 16, if you guys open up with me. If you got your Bible, open up with me. We'll read them together. All right, so Jesus, it starts off, uh, if you go down to verse 21. Oh, sorry, 24. Verse 24, sorry, Matthew 16, 24 says this. He says, then Jesus, 
said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be if someone gains the whole world but forfeits their own soul? This is Jesus saying, what, is it, what does true love look like? It's someone who is going to give up everything so that they can follow me and have life in my name. Beautiful. Then if we go to John 15, he says the same thing. Do we have that one? It's John 15? Nope. Okay. Everybody move on over to John 15. <laughs> Good thing I brought my phone. So John 15, you know this, I, he is the vine and we are the branches. He says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As is you, not belonging to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And... I am reading too far. So if you go back to <laughs> verse 13, it says, you guys know this verse. Greater love has nothing than this, to lay one's life down for their friends. Go the blue one. So to lay one's life down for your friends. You, we missed it, but I was going to fool you guys. I changed the words because here's what we do. We read these verses and we kind of read our own life into them and we kind of dumb down or we dilute what Christ is actually saying here. And so when we say, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you, there is no greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends. Sometimes we read it like this, if you go to the red one. <laughs> my commandment is this, love each other the best you can. There's no greater love than this, that you pray and stand up for what you believe in. You are my friends if you take pride in yourself and you condemn the evil around you. Amen? So, but for real, some of us act like this is what Jesus is actually saying, right? And so we say one thing in our minds, but the way that we function is different. And if you go back to, the, to Matthew 16 and read, Matthew 16, this is sometimes how we read this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone is to follow me, let him ask for my favor. Receive my blessings and walk in freedom. For whoever loves his life, loves me. Whoever seeks prosperity will find my blessing. And whoever finds peace in life, has found my reward. For the goal of your soul is to gain the whole world. Amen? God wants more and more and more in abundance for you. Just kidding. Here's the deal. God asks us continually to sacrifice everything at the altar for his kingdom's purpose. And when we get back to what is going on in the world today, cruciformity is almost becoming in the bride of Christ. I want to say this not judgmentally, but just as an observation. We are losing the weight of our cruciformity. We are losing it as we start, we stand up for what we believe in, as we seek blessing and prosperity over seeking laying our, our own life down for others. This becomes problematic in the bride of Christ because love is shown in the way that we die. So let me ask you this morning, how well do you die? How well? When something is in your flesh, when the world is telling you something and luring you in you with some kind of information, how good are you are saying, man... I'm dying to this. This isn't right. 
This isn't what God has for me. This isn't the spirit of Christ in me. So I want to talk about dying today, if that's okay. (laughs) So cruciformity, if you're taking notes, number one is this. Cruciformity is your calling. It's our calling. It is our prerogative. This is something that's not negotiable. You can't be a Christian. Literally Christian, you were defined by the cross. We follow a crucified Christ, right? This word is everywhere. So we follow a crucified Christ, our definition becomes the little crucified ones, the ones who are crucified with Christ. What do we celebrate in church? Our two biggest liturgies, the Eucharist, communion. We literally celebrate the dead, hear me right, we celebrate the dead carcass of Jesus as he was murdered and then resurrected. This is a, I mean, this is what we partake in. Baptism, we literally die with Jesus and come out resurrected. Death is who we are. It's part of our following. It's part of our worship. This is how we worship God. We die to ourselves, and we find resurrection power, resurrection in the name of Jesus. And so here's number two in your notes, if you're taking notes. Sometimes it's easy for us to say, hey, I love dying to my sin because sin corrupts me. I feel guilty about it. That's the kind of stuff I want to die to. But for many of us, there are things that are good in your life that you need to die to. Hear me out. Sometimes dying in the flesh means letting go of the things that often seem like they're good. Here's a, someone who says it way better than me is a guy named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a founding apostle in China before the communists took over. Started a massive church movement. Huge, I mean, brilliant mind for Christ, brilliant, um, just charitable works. And look what he has to say. I love what he says here. He says, we Christians, and he's saying this in like the 20s, we Christians need to be reminded once again of God's judgment upon the flesh. The flesh, says the Lord, is of no avail. It is of no use. It's useless, whether it be the sin of the flesh or the righteousness of the flesh. It's futile. That which is born of the flesh, whatever it may be, is flesh. It can never be unfleshed. Whether it be flesh in the pulpit, flesh in the audience, flesh in our prayers, flesh in consecration, the flesh in reading the Bible, the flesh in singing hymns, the flesh in doing good, none of these asserts God can avail. It's useless if it's from the flesh. According to God's view, there is, o- there is spiritual death in the flesh. The only escape is to commit the flesh to the cross. Amen? So many of us right now, soup, get back out of the 1920s in China, right back here in Hawaii in 2020, so many of us are propagating righteousness that comes out of the flesh, ideas that come out of the flesh, things that look good but are birthed out of the flesh. And so what we want to do is just revamp and ask the Holy Spirit, give us the discernment to tell where these two things meet and how I can find the voice of the Spirit and not allow the flesh to, per- to be pervasive in my life. And this, guess what? This is an amazing, terrifying part of our Christian faith, that we have the Spirit of God and the selfish ambitions of our flesh always at odds. 
But Paul gives us some amazing wisdom that we're going to get to that talks about how do we find out what is God's voice. Have you ever struggled with that? What is God's voice? What is my voice? What's the flesh versus what's the spirit? Paul writes a lot about this because it's part of our human conundrum that we find ourselves in. But before we get there, let's go to Luke 23. Now, Luke 23, I want to talk about Barabbas. You guys know this character. Sorry, it might be a little small. You guys know Barabbas. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. Recognize when you read scripture, if somebody has a name and an introduction, it's because the author says this is really important. It's important you know their name. When the thief on the cross said, I know you're the Savior, save yourself. And Jesus said, no, today you will be with me in paradise. That guy doesn't have a name because he doesn't need it because we see the faith in him and we don't need to know his name. But we know Barabbas' name and we're talking about why that's important. So Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. They're accusing Jesus of being a revolutionary. I have examined him to your presence and have found no basis for your charge against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. As you see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, get the government, the Roman government, the, who has been persecuting Jews, is saying, Actually, it says earlier in that verse that Pilate was excited to meet Jesus. He's heard a lot about him, a lot of good things. And so when he meets Jesus, he's like, I find nothing here to convict. There's nothing wrong. Who's the one convicting? It is the righteous. It's the Jews. It's his own followers. And so, I mean, this is a whole sermon in itself. But just to continue, it says, there, it says this. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man and release Barabbas to us. So they didn't just care about getting Jesus killed. They wanted to, as part of what's custom, if someone is going to the cross, somebody takes the place off the cross. Here's what's awesome. You know what the name Barabbas means? The son of God. It's the son of the father. Barabbas, son of Abba. So literally, we have this beautiful image here where the true son of God is going to the cross and someone with the name of the son of God, the son of the father, is coming off the cross and the people are confused which is which, right? People don't know who is the real hero. Who's going to save us from the oppression of Rome? And they say, I want Barabbas. You know who Barabbas was? It says right here. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city. He's a dude rioting, blowing stuff up, trying to turn the government upside down. He's an insurrectionist. And murder, he murdered during an insurrection. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. You guys, you really, I don't want the guy in my street, back in the streets who was blowing up Rome. I want Jesus peaceful, let him go. And they said, no, crucify Jesus. Hear me out. The confusion that the people have, who is better for us? The one who's going to lay himself down or the one who's going to blow up the oppressor? We get that confused today. And God put it heavy on my heart. He's like, man, so many of us love Jesus, but we're worshiping Barabbas right now. Can we be real? We're sitting here like, hey, what, what does Jesus want me to do? He wants me to, to upturn the government. The government's doing all this bad thing. We're pointing fingers. We're blaming, right? We're posting stuff on social media that's super 
anti-government, that's super, uh, bla- not blasphemous, it's super slanderous, as if Roman 13 that says that you honor and respect and obey your government doesn't exist. We, have, we are cheering for the revolutionaries right now. Many of us are in, in the Christian faith. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Choose me, the one who lays himself down. But wait, was, doesn't Rome win then? <laughs> it's like, let it go. There's so much more power to come in the resurrection, but the death comes before the resurrection. Amen? And so many of us have a hard time dying. We want to walk in resurrection power and in the resurrection spirit, but we don't want to die first. Have you ever noticed that? So many of us do this. And I'm like, what, you, what, were you buried alive? What are you trying to resurrect from if you never died to anything? And so this may be a season for us as a church to actually come up out of the grave after dying to stuff. And we're going to talk exactly what we need to die to today. Some of the things. Are you tracking with me? Thank you. So, Jesus or Barabbas, who are you cheering right now? Are you cheering that the government gets overthrown? Are you cheering for riots in the streets and a whole new system to come in and get rid of the oppressors, bring in the good people? Is that your thought, or is your thought, hey, how do we lay down our life? What does it mean to be the bride of Christ right now? It's one who follows the cruciform ways of Christ. So, number three is this, if you're taking notes. We need to know the difference between the spirit and the flesh. Man, do we ever, more than ever. And we do this all the time with the gift of discernment. And we know people with gift of discernment. I know people, I've seen it so on display so miraculously. The gift of the spirit is of, of discernment, we often just kind of reduce to judgment. Like, oh, that person makes good decisions. They have discernment. That's not just, discernment is being able to tell what's, this, what's of God and what is not of God. That's really what it comes down to. And so we need this difference-making discernment in our lives more than ever. Would you agree? Because right now there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of things. There's Christians fighting for things and Christians fighting against those very four things. So the, the, we're a church divided because we can't figure out what is of God and what is not of God. And that's a problem. And so we need to figure out what is of the flesh and what is not. But the only thing we can control is our own reaction. Amen? We can control ourselves. We can control just our relationships and inside the church. We can call each other out when we see flesh. Yeah? Can we do that? That's a love thing. I want to see, if I see flesh in you, I want to call that out because I love you. And I want to see more spirit in you. And this, do the same for me. Please, by God's name, do the same for me. We need to see the kingdom come here on earth. Amen? So, we need to know the difference between the spirit and the flesh. My question is, do you? How fleshy, fleshy are your desires? How fleshy are not just, you know, do you have sin in your life? It's more of like, how do you perceive wealth? How do you perceive status? How, how is your world? Is your world something that revolves around your personal ambitions? Or are you continuing laying your life down so that Christ can be made full in your life? Are you finding room for God's will to take over and make you die to things that you don't want to die to? That's cruciformity. So, Paul gives us the answer, and I thank you, Jesus, for Paul, because how do we wrestle with this inner tor- turmoil of the spirit battling the flesh all the time? He gives us the fruit, right? So, Paul gives us, he says, guys, 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 there's the, f- how do you know the, fr- the spirit is at work? There is this beautiful, like, montage of tasty morsels that will dangle off of you. Love, 
When people are around you, they will feel love. They will experience love. They will see a love that they had never seen before. Joy. When people are around you, they get filled up and ready for the day. Like You just excite them because you have the joy of the, the Father in you. Peace. Nothing can get you down because you're at a continual internal peace, shalom that Christ has deposited in you. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But guess what? We don't read this part. If I told you guys, recite the fruits of the Spirit, all you guys can. You heard it at your wedding, and, you know, it's been recited everywhere. Trinity Christian students, like, that's probably your final test, right? It's like your, your final exam is name all the fruits of the Spirit every year. But guess what? Paul also gives us the fruit of the flesh. How many of you guys have memorized what the fruit of the flesh are? We need to. Because when I see flesh becoming fruit in my life, I want to be able to say, ah, I don't want that dangling on my trees. Thank you very much. Right? So go open up with, to Galatians 5 with me. Galatians 5 gives us, these are things that we know the Spirit is not at work in us. Whoa, I don't want to read that. Okay, so when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. In other translations, it says the fruits of your, your flesh are these. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, and these aren't just talking sexually. Lustful pleasures are whatever your carnal self is seeking after to, to fulfill probably some spiritual void that you're missing. But when we walk in the Spirit, Jesus says, I, God is our good shepherd. And he says, when David writes to, G, to God, he says, God is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When you have a tr true shepherd who gives you everything you need, you don't have a need for lustful pleasures idolatry. Wow. We're going to get back to this one. Sorcery, right? I don't think there's sorcery in a church. Pastor Mark, I don't do sorcery. Okay, wait, you might do some of these. Hostility. Oh my goodness. How many of you guys have been on in social media lately and you've seen a post that has made you hostile? Oh, I have. I like, all I want to do is like, exclamation, 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 bad emojis, bad emojis, you know what I mean? Hostility, quarreling. There's so much quarreling. There is bickering even in the body of Christ. That's not of God. Quarreling, fighting, arguing. What does quarreling even do? Quarreling makes you want to be right. It wants you to, it, it, it's trying to convince you to condemn others who you think are wrong or below you. Quarreling is a competition. It's a challenge. And you can't unify with brothers and sisters in Christ when you're constantly at challenge with one another. So we don't quarrel. We can talk, we can dialogue, but we don't quarrel. We find love as our anchor between all of us. Sell, oh sorry, quarreling, jealousy, oh my goodness, don't get me started there. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. Wait, and this is what we do with selfish ambition all the time. Pastor Mark, I really want to get a really good job and get lots of money, and have a nice car, is that bad? Can, does God, doesn't God want me to do well here on earth? If the ambition is, it could be good things, but remember, if they are good things that are birthed out of the flesh, they are not of God. If they are birthed in the spirit, they are good things. It's that simple. And so you got to do that kind of diagnostic on yourself. Where are these things, where are these ambitions coming from? Are these actually what God wants of me? Or are these things that I, I'm trying to put my selfish ambition into God's little 
you know, mail package and be like, oh, God, slip that in there. Thank you very much. Like, whose will is it? Is it God's will or my will? Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, ooh, dissension, where you feel a little bit of bitterness towards someone, you hold that grudge. Ooh, that's not of God. That is not of God. That is of the flesh. So that may be someone in here right now who you have this sort of like self-righteous indignation that you are better or smarter or above somebody else. And that fruit dangling off of you, that looks real juicy, I tell you. You're like, oh my gosh, God loves you. And you'll even put God's blessing over it. It's like, you know what? Hey, God's on my side. He's blessing me. You don't even know what you're talking about. God help you. God bless you. And it, that, that apple looks so juicy. But the truth is, that is not of the spirit. That is of the flesh. Dissension, division. Okay, we could talk all day about that. We live in a two-party political system, and the Christians are ripped right down the middle. We're we are a house divided currently. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other <laughs> sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone who lives that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the things that are not of the spirit. And so what I want to talk about from here on out is, okay, what does this actually mean then, Pastor Mark? Okay, if, if, if we have the world going on right now, we have this influx of information, we have this pandemic happening, we have a political election coming, we have all these voices, all this noise reaching out to us saying, hey, if you're Christians, you ought to blank. And so many, I've seen it in ourselves, I've seen it in my friends, I've seen it in other pastors, are all jumping on these kinds of bandwagons saying, yes, I'm a Christian, therefore, and they jump on the agenda of some political movement or they follow some teaching of somebody who's not in Christ, or whatever it is. And so we're missing the point. If I am in Christ, my job never has changed. I'm laying my life down, right? So why, Pastor Mark, if you have faith, why do you wear a mask? Because it takes more faith for me to wear a mask under a corrupt government's orders than it does to say, screw you to the government. Truthfully. Do I think they work? No. But am I going to wear it? Of course I'm going to wear it, because I'm called to honor our government. And Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah says, and this is not to shame, if you guys don't wear masks, it's not to shame, this is just my convictions. Jeremiah says this, what you do for your own government is going to do well with you. This is, there's something that comes back, there's a return here. The way that we love our political officials has a return on us. And that's not why we do it, we do it because we're laying our life down. We trust that God has placed those in authority and authority, or at least he's watching over there, and he's capable of keeping things in order, would you say? So I trust that in Christ. I trust God. And so you know what? I'm going to walk out. When we got the orders this week that we had to get plexiglass shields, you know what I mean? And like we, we, at first the order was, oh, uh, we can't sing. You guys might have heard that. There's no singing allowed in churches. So many of us, our response, that orange got squeezed and apple juice came out. I'm not going to lie. Plenty of us did, myself included. And I was like, it's time for Barabbas. Unleash Barabbas. We are going to rebel. That's unleash Barabbas. Like literally our inner Barabbases start coming out. And not, it took me so long. It, it's just like in prayer, God was just like, are you, are you, who are you worshiping here? Is it me or Barabbas? And so I had to come back and be like, no, my job here is to lay my life down. They're going to take away my singing? Okay, we'll figure them out. We'll do something else. We can worship. God's not going to, we're not going to lose out on giving God worship because we can't sing, Right? How many people you know worship God and they don't have the physical ability to sing? Or like me, the musical ability to sing. God still receives it because it comes from exactly what Jason Messina shared. It comes from here. 
It's one pu'uvai worship. It is not one talent worship. So it's not an ability worship. And so I want to make sure that we're, all of us are on this page. Let's, when all the things are influencing us in the world right now and pulling us in different directions, let's make sure at the center of our response is cruciformity. How, what does it mean to die to myself here so that somebody else may live? Yeah, that's a Christ-centered question. So for all of us, we need to ask, what does that look like? So here's some, here's some ideas. Here's what it might mean now. Number one, deny. When he says, deny yourselves, pick up your cross and follow me. Sometimes we need to deny our opinions. But wait, Pastor Mark, I am entitled to my opinions. Are you though? Right, we're going to get there. Here's, here's what we do. Man, can I say this real bluntly? Some of us are so ingrained in democracy, we don't know how to live in a kingdom. I'm going to say that again. Some of us have been so ingrained to live in democracy, when Jesus comes and says, live in my kingdom, we don't know how. When Jesus says, give up your right, we're like, no, I have rights. I get to keep those. And we go back to the Constitution instead of the Word of God as some, something to defend us. Amen? Do you guys see that around us? All of us do that. So deny your opinions. What is an opinion? It's what you perceive as valuable or true. Are you willing to give up what you see as valuable or true so that someone else may be heard, so that someone else might actually help you grow in understanding, so you can see, you can makavalu, you can see things from different angles? There's so much rewarding reward to come when you actually put down your opinions and you listen. And not just opinions here, it's opinions of our heart. And oftentimes our opinions are wrapped up in cold bitterness, those types of things. So we want to just get rid of those. Amen? Don't hold too fast to opinions because oftentimes we hold fast to a very cold heart when we do. And so who do we hold fast to is the truth that Christ crucified is our Savior, resurrected again, has given us the Holy Spirit, and we walk in freedom because of what Christ has done for us. That is what we, that's our non-negotiable. That's where I'm stubborn. Do not tell me that Christ is not my Savior and the Holy Spirit is alive at work in me. That is where my dogma becomes, that's, that's it. But everything else under that, there's flexibility. I can learn. I can grow. I can listen. Amen? So deny your opinions. Number two, this might be hard right now, deny your need for information. <sighs> have you noticed that in yourself? I have. I have to know what's going on. I hear about a scandal. I'm getting to the bottom of it. And Google helps me the whole way. Right? Google is taking me on this journey, searching through pages after pages after profiles after quotes after news articles about what on earth is going on. And sometimes this pursuit, hear me out, the pursuit of knowledge of this world is an idol. Can we be real about that? We are distracted with head knowledge that is trying to, usually trying to appease some kind of fear or some kind of agenda we have in our own hearts. I have to know because this matters to me. I have to know because if this is true, this is scary for me, right? And so when we trust in a shepherd who is good and we lack nothing, it means that I can give up my need to know things. It's like, ugh, post-enlightenment world that we live in. I tell you, all, the world is telling you, you need to know more. You need to go, go educate yourself. And I tell you what, we have a lot of educators right now. We don't have a lot of doers, even in the faith. We have a lot of people who want to talk about cruciformity. We don't have a lot of people actually dying to themselves, comparatively. And I want to be a kind of church that it's like, man, I just, want to, I just want to go and be the light. I don't want to just curse the darkness all the time. Amen? That's what I want to be. Anyway, so <laughs> I could go down that line for a while. So 
Deny your need for information. I want to give you an example because I literally, that God gave, put this on my heart this morning. I walked past this piece of fishing string. You know what this fishing, how many of you guys can actually see this from where you're sitting? Okay, you can. There's a piece of fishing string here. Have you ever thought of the perspective of a fish when you catch them? Like what it looks like from down under? Like you're in the water. You can't see that string in water, right? And there's a hook that is meant to grab you, catch you, kill you. And that hook has something that you're so wired to bite. And so for fish, it's like game over. They don't even stand a chance. If you get the right lure, right time, yada, 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 you talk to fishermen, they know all the skills. But for a fish, it's like, man, they have no chance. Because here's what they do. They see a little piece of what they normally eat swimming by. They bite it, and all of a sudden, oops, I didn't do enough research or whatever. I didn't see. I was, it wasn't clear enough to me that I was lured here. And they get bit, they bite it, get pulled up to the boat, etc. And what was very clear to me is, so for some of us, there's a lot happening in the news right now. There's a lot happening in the world right now where leaders, especially during an election, love to cast a line for you. They love to lure you in. And know how they do that? Fish see food, right? Like an alua sees taco and he's going to bite that taco because he's, he's ingrained to eat taco. For Christians, we are used to using God and talking about spiritual things. And so we're seeing right now, I've seen this all the time, is political things coming in, political parties, movements, people, whatever you want to say, coming in, and they're wrapping up their agenda in spiritual language. And we don't know any better because we're like, I'm a Christian, I bite that. It's spiritual language. It says God on it, it must be of God. And we can't tell the difference. And so at Christians, make sure you have that Holy Spirit discern you, discernment in you to be able to tell, is this of God or not? Don't look at the outside. Because fishing line is meant to deceive a fish. And I tell you, this world is meant to deceive Christians. It's its goal. The enemy is at work in this world trying to deceive us. Amen? So let's be on guard for that. Number three. Whoo! You guys with me? Okay, good. Number three is this. Deny your, informa- your need for information. Number three, deny your rights. Ooh. Deny your rights. Your rights are what, oh, man. But Pastor Mark, our rights, people have died for my rights. I know. It's a beautiful country we live in. But guess what? They died for your rights so that you would have something to die to. That's what Christ has put us in this country for, is that we would have rights so that we have something in our possession so we can die and give that away to someone else. This is what the cruciform lifestyle looks like. So we hear this all the time. We're like, well, look at the government is silencing churches. We have freedom of speech. No, we don't. The Bible says very clearly that you let no words come out of your mouth unless they're, up, uh, they're worthy of building up others and benefiting those who listen to them. We don't have free speech. Well, they're regulated by our king. Amen. So we don't, the, the, the right is a facade. The right is something that, oh, I can live in this country with that right. But as a kingdom citizen, I gave up that right so that only words coming out of my mouth would benefit other people. I gave up that right. Number two is this. We could go down the list. You have the right to remain silent. Wow. We hear that mostly when people get arrested. <laughs> you have the right to remain silent because you're going to incriminate yourself somehow. Don't say anything. But you know what it says in Proverbs. It's like, no, you speak up and you be the voice to those who don't have a voice. And so I've given up my right to be silent when I see injustice because I am called by the king to speak up for those who don't have a voice. So my right to be silent is kaputs. 
What about this? You have the right to religion. You can practice your religion, right? You don't have a right to a religion if your religion is what Jesus calls the yeast of the Pharisees. If your religion is legalism, if your religion is getting my way, if your religion is power, this is the, this is the pharisaical yeast. They're teaching people how to live under a legal system and gain power and righteousness in God's eyes. In, in their mind was God's eyes, but it's actually in their own eyes. I give up my right to my own religion if I'm going to be a Pharisee. I'll tell you that. You don't have a right to independence or autonomy when you've been called to koinonia. When you've been called to live in a community that, that builds you up and that you build others up and that they know you and you're deeply known and loved by others and they're deeply known and loved by you, my own personal individualism, autonomy, my right to that, I give that up for living in community. Amen? This is what we've been called to do. And here's another one. You don't have the freedom of thought if God asks you to take your thoughts captive. You don't have free thoughts. God says, check them. When they come through your head, you check them and you get rid of the things that aren't of me. So here's the thing, is we need to train ourselves to be citizens of the kingdom before we're citizens of democracy. And those things in democracy are good things, but they're of the flesh. They are. They're things of the flesh. They're things that are really good at running a civil country. But they are not great at stirring up the things of God. God has given us kingdom culture to live in. And so we do that. We supersede life here in democracy with life in heaven. Amen? So last one is this. You don't have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness if the king asks you to lay your life down. You don't get to pursue happiness in a long life if Christ asks you to lay it down. What kind of king do you serve? You serve a king who's crucified and a king who loves people, who gave the greatest show of love on earth by laying himself down. And he says it very clearly, this is my commandment for you, do the same to others. But wait, Pastor Mark, you don't think God wants me to live a long time? Of course he does. He wants you to live for eternity. But know what eternity comes with? The price of dying to yourself so you can be resurrected into eternity. And so this is the, this is the reality that we're living in is resurrection always comes after death. So we need to die to ourselves. And the last point in your notes is this. Deny your, deny your opinions, your need for information, your rights, and deny your self-righteous indignation. Oh my gosh, that's a big fancy word for, you know, you see people like, oh, how dare they? Did you see what the, the governor and the mayor did? Oh, how dare they? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like being able to look around and compare and contrast and, and use your judgment skills to say, this is bad, this is wicked, this person is evil. And when we deny ourselves of that, we recognize, what does Jesus say? The people that we hate the most, he says, pray for them. When people whack us, he says, oh, that person attacked you? Turn the cheek, let them whack you one more time, right? So our job is not to fight back. And I want to make this really, really clear. Because for Christians, know what, the, what we're seeing right now is people who are fighting. We see Christians fighting for rights. We see Christians fighting for survival in their own mind. But you know what is literally the opposite thing as laying down your life? Fighting for survival. And so we're kicking and screaming where God says, just lay your life down. Be resurrected in me in new power. Amen? So this is the reality that we're living in. So deny yourself righteous indignation. Our job as Christ followers isn't to point out who's evil and who's good. 
We all love to be that voice. We want to be on social media and be like, everybody, I need you to be alert to this. Look at this scandal that's happening. Look at all this information that's coming out. And these sort of conspiracies that are floating around, we love to jump on board because we love to call out the darkness. But ain't nobody out there being the light. And that's what I want to be. I, I don't want to be a church that's so stuck in calling out evil in our own perceptions, whereas we could walk into evil and say, like, hey, look. And know, know this is beautiful? Think about this with me. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a light on a city on a hill, and don't put your light under a basket. Let it be shown to all people. This is such a simple truth, but it was real to me this week. Light is different than darkness, is it not? Sometimes we want to go into the darkness with fleshly darkness in us saying we're the light. But we look just like everybody else, just more noise in the conversation. What light looks like is somebody who walks into the darkness and lays their life down and says, I love you. There's a love that abounds for you through Christ our Savior. What does that actually look like for you, laying your life down? That's what light, light is different than darkness. Darkness, Martin Luther King said himself, darkness can't cast itself out. Only light can do that. That is our kuleana. That's our job, is to make sure we're that light that can cast out darkness. Now, last one is this, if you're taking notes. Oh, yeah, I want to read 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy 2 says this. You then, my son... Be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people will also be qualified to teach others. He says this, join with me in suffering. Like a good soldier of Christ, no one serving us as a soldier gets entangled with civilian affairs, but rather ties, uh, tries to please his commanding officer. Isn't this true? Right now, we're looking at a body of Christ that is becoming more and more entangled in civilian affairs when our job is to serve our commanding officer. That's what it means. And how do we do that? We join him in his suffering because our commander suffered and died and resurrected, and that's our job too. We follow him there. So I want to just encourage you guys here this morning. We're going to do just kind of a, a practice because it's kind of like I hate a lot of times when we kind of hear the word of God, and we say, okay, amen, everybody go home and eat lunch. There's this practice that's as ancient as dirt that they call kenosis. Kenosis is the ability or the practice of emptying yourself. So many of us have come into the, the room of God this morning with flesh and spirit in us, and we want to just do a process of emptying out that flesh. Amen? Kenosis is the Greek word where God says, it says in Philippians 2, that Christ came and emptied himself and took the form of a servant, laid his life down as a ransom for many. And so can we do that here this morning? What I'll have you do is bow your heads. And as we bow over your heads, I want you to think of this. Where in your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, where in my heart, oh God, is operating out of the flesh? There might be several instances in this last couple weeks where you have reacted with outbursts of anger, hostility, dissension, whatever it may be. There might be flesh in your spirit that is jealous and envious and you're operating out of that and it turns you into judgmental. There might be people in here whose flesh is telling them that they're amazing, that their accomplishments here on earth have granted them righteousness in God's eyes and that needs to die too. 
So take one minute and ask God for some clarity. Holy Spirit, where is our flesh alive at work in us? Father, we just come to you this morning as we lift up these things. Thank you, God, for the illumination of our hearts where we see the flesh at work. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the great cleaner, the cleanser of our souls. We thank you, God, that you can come and you can put to death the things of this world, the things in our flesh that aren't of you. Help us, Jesus, as the world continues to squeeze, pour nothing out but the blood and the body of Christ. Help us, Father, to be children of the crucifixion, children of the resurrection. Help that to be our story as the story of a body of believers who would lay themselves down for the love of others. Jesus, I just pray that we would choose you this week, this month, as the pandemic grows harder and harder, as election season comes, and things get scary, and things get unknowing, things get confusing for us. Jesus, may we stick to the recipe of cruciformity that you've deposited into our hearts. May God that be real for us in every aspect, in our marriages, God, in our families, May that be true in work. May God, we, may we not lose our witness because we're acting like Barabbas. Jesus, I pray for that. I pray, God, that you would put Barabbas back on the cross, that you would come down, that we would choose you to save us from all that is going on in the world. So Jesus, be our Savior. Help us not to long for anger, bitterness, violence, upheaval. May that not be the condition of our spirit. May the condition of our spirit be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus, you're at work. You're moving. We sang it earlier. We see you moving all over the place. We just trust that there is no other name but the name of Jesus. And so, God, we give you the glory. When the world is throwing out all these kinds of names and platforming them, trying to make them equal or better than yours, may we remember there is no other name that saves that we are worshipers of one true God. And so, Jesus, we pray for everyone here, God, as we enter into this next season. Jesus, may our first reaction be to lay our lives down, to self-sacrifice and live the cruciform life you've called us to. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.